Welcome to the Become New Podcast with John Ortberg. My name is Tim Williams and I work with John here behind the scenes. I'll be your host for this series, Finding God in Your World. Today, John sits down with Dr. Condoleezza Rice. Dr. Rice is an American diplomat and political scientist who is the current director of the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. She previously served as the 66th United States Secretary of State from 2005 to 2009 and as the 19th U.S. National Security Advisor from 2001 to 2005. Dr. Rice was the first female African-American Secretary of State and the first woman to serve as a National Security Advisor. She's the author of several books, including No Higher Honor, To Build a Better World, and Political Risk. John and Dr. Rice talk about politics and the kingdom of God, Dr. Rice's personal journey with faith, what a citizen can do to bring about change in their world, the limits of coercive power, and many other topics. If you're new to the podcast, we have a website you might want to check out, becomenew.com. There you can find more resources, including the option to subscribe to our email or text, which accompany each episode with more information and discussion. Now, here's John and Dr. Condoleezza Rice. We're walking together through this Advent season. Here's the deal about today. You got to live today. You can live today with God or live today without God. And trust me, it will be better to do it with God. I'm particularly excited today because I get, we get to talk to somebody who is literally needs no introduction. Dr. Condoleezza Rice, uh, former Secretary of State, National Security Advisor, um, Provost of Stanford. Currently, you're directing the Hoover Institution. Um, Connie, I'm very grateful to be able to talk to you about this subject. So thank you. Happy to do it, John. It's great to see you and, uh, join you with your audience. Well, uh, so we decided on this theme of finding God in this world. And I thought you'd be a unique person to talk to about that. So I'd love to just plunge in and start more globally and then, and then get more personally to your own faith. But when we think about the world, the Bible has a lot to say about the world. God so loved the world, really cares about the world, gave his only son. But our world seems to be a mess, uh, and it seems terribly complicated. So we look at what's going on uh, in Israel and Gaza, and the evil of Hamas is unspeakable. And there's concerns about Palestinian people and injustice, and trying to hold that stuff together is really hard. Uh Ukraine is really difficult. The divisions in our own country are, are really difficult. And you have had to grapple with the fate, the state of the world, as few folks have. So just instruct people who are listening as Christians or just sincere people, how should we be thinking about and holding our concerns for the world? Well, I, I think you have to first say that there, um, you know, there's a world out there in which uh, there is a political struggle going on. Uh, it's a political struggle that is not unfamiliar through the thousands of years of human history. Uh, people fight. They fight over territory. They fight over ideas. They fight over resources. And uh, none of that has changed uh, despite uh, the entry of uh, the Lord Jesus into the world. And so understanding that, unfortunately, it's been a part of human history and a part of human nature Although I would argue that we've gotten better over time. We don't hold slaves anymore, for instance. Uh, we still uh, do have these conflicts. And we're seeing that in Ukraine, where a large country, Russia, decided to try to extinguish its smaller neighbor. 
Uh, we're seeing it where Hamas attacked uh, peaceful Israeli citizens and uh, raped women and and uh, destroyed homes and took hostages and and we see it in uh, in places uh, that we don't always see on the front pages, uh, places like Darfur in Sudan or uh, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, where there's uh, unspeakable uh, terror going on and human suffering. And so recognizing that it's a, a part of human history, uh, those of us who were once responsible for trying to do something, if you will, for the for the big picture, trying to help resolve political uh, side of it, uh, you you did your best. Uh, some of them we did well, some of them not so well, but we did our best. But I think for each and every one of us as Christians, we should ask, what can we do in the sense of trying to alleviate the human suffering, wh- wherever it comes from? I, w- I was going to ask that. Uh, uh, you know, most of us have lots of opinions about things and what we think should be done. You're in kind of a unique position when you would look at the country. Uh, in a role where you carry a lot of responsibility for governance, what do you hope for from citizens? And in particular, what do you hope for from Christian citizens? What what are the things that we can do that will actually be helpful to folks who sit in chairs like the chairs that you have sat in? So much of what we can do to try to deal with horrible situations like we're dealing with now really depends on citizens, depends on faith-based institutions. Uh, it depends on nonprofit organizations. I'll just give you one example, uh, John. When we were facing the scourge of AIDS, uh, which was really destroying an entire continent in Africa, and President Bush decided to do the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, uh, yes, the United States put billions of dollars into that, but the delivery was by faith-based institutions on the ground. Uh, the delivery was going into these communities because governments can do a lot of things. They can't provide compassion. And so I would say to individual citizens, while the folks in Washington or the folks in Kiev or uh, the people in, in uh, Tel Aviv or Jerusalem are trying to, to deal with the big political problems and, and taking decisions that even I now don't have uh, control over. Uh, I always have to remember that. I don't have control over these big decisions anymore. I once did, I don't anymore. But each and every one of us can help to deal with the misery and the suffering that comes out of that. And uh, that, I think, is what we're really called to do uh, as Christians. Uh, I don't think our Lord would expect us to uh, to have a, a solution for the two-state solution in um, in the Middle East. That's That, that was once my, my world. It's not my world anymore. But is there anything that I can do to help alleviate the the suffering through uh, helping th- through aid or helping through resources? Uh, I look at uh, some of the places in in Africa where there are still children who can't get a, a decent meal. You can do something about that, even if you can't do something about the lousy government that has put them in that position. And so I always say, try to act locally. Now, by locally, I don't mean in your town. I mean, try to to help on the ground with uh, with the human suffering in whatever way that you can, and I, I think that then we're fulfilling our Christian mission. I, I just uh, finished reading autobiography by Lou Lerman, uh, who is a buddy of a mutual friend of ours, Sam Reeves, and uh, uh, a convert to Christianity. And part of what Lou writes in that book is that actually the vision for our society would be that everybody would make some kind of commitment to public service. And I thought that was striking. You don't hear a lot about that these days. 
and and you don't hear people say, um, "Here's what I'm going to do." Right? We all have our opinions. Uh, we all uh, love to, to 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 debate these issues, and I think this, and you think that. But I often say, uh, the, the, my great friend George Schultz used to wear a tie that said, uh, "Democracy is not a spectator sport." And uh, that says to me, find the thing that you can do. And it may not seem to add up to dealing, for instance, with the divisions in our own country. But, you know, if you're working to help tutor some kids who otherwise might not learn to read, uh, you really are helping to build uh, a, an opportunity for them to be able to participate in our democracy when they're older. And we often think too big. John, I think we don't think. Oh, it's so well, interesting. Say more about that. Well, even even Christ, of course, thought big, but he also worked small. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. uh, maybe we could follow that. Uh, maybe we could feed the hungry. Maybe we could uh, help the person who is a leper because they have a particular uh, disease. Maybe we can put our arm around uh, someone whose uh, life has been broken by human trafficking or uh, somebody who's been broken by alcoholism or somebody who's been broken by abuse. Um, maybe we can, maybe that's the way to express our Christianity. Yeah, Connie, I was thinking about uh, that idea that Jesus thought big, but he worked small. Uh, it is kind of striking that he was born in Bethlehem, which today is a not very safe place in the state of Palestine on the West Bank. And it was not a very safe place in his day. And uh, he actually didn't bring the kind of, uh, you know, big scale political economic solution to it that we think about. But the revolution that he started was much more powerful than what Rome was doing. Much more powerful. And if you think back through uh, the history, uh, John, which I think you you taught me as my pastor at one point of of how this little movement of these people called Christians really spread. It was because people were stunned at the things they were doing. They were suddenly having orphanages, orphanages and hospitals, and they believed that every person was worthy because they were a child of God. And that was a kind of radical idea in Jesus' time and after uh, his resurrection. And, and maybe we can, in our own way, uh, continue to show that this radical idea that I care about uh, the person uh, next to me, I care about the person who's in need. Um, I want to intervene uh, on behalf of the person that is in need. I want to use my resources and my time to do that. Uh, there are lots of people who don't do it from uh, a religious uh, a, a religious uh, incentive or an, a religious impulse, but the greatest works really have been done from that religious impulse. And uh, so I often say if every person is a child of God and made in the image uh, of the creator, then uh, the least we can do is try to make sure that every person has a chance. Yeah, there's a sociologist in Virginia, James Davidson Hunter, who writes about when society gets real fractious, everybody gravitates towards political power because that's the only arena that has access to coercive power where you can force people to do what you want. And so folks will think, well, that's the, the only way to be really relevant is through politics. But his point actually is, Coercive power in the long run across the century is actually pretty limited in what it can do because it can't actually capture the human heart of the human 
imagination. So how do you think about what what can politics do and what can politics not do? Well, politics can certainly, um, uh, when when coupled with power, and the United States of America has a lot of power, it can make a difference to the shape of the international system. Uh, we made a big difference after World War II, uh, defeating Germany and Imperial Japan, and then uh, helping shepherd them to become democracies. So that now uh, these are countries that we would never imagine doing the things that Imperial Japan did or Nazi Germany did. So big power can do a lot. But so can um, the, uh, but what but big power can't do is it can't person by person deliver that compassion, deliver those values. Uh, I think uh, one of my, my favorite stories, you mentioned I'm director of the Hoover Institution. So after World War II, um, after World War I, and then again after World War II, Herbert Hoover was called into action uh, to, to run the relief effort for uh, starving Germans, uh, starving Europeans. And many, many, many years later, when a man named Gerhard Kasper became the president of Stanford University, he had been a child in Hamburg, uh, Germany, yeah, after the war. And he said that uh, what he remembered most about that was that American soldiers handed out these little packages of food and, and uh, supplies, and they were called Hoovers. And that was his oh, wow. association with Hoover. So just think about that chain, that chain from American power, which defeats Nazi Germany, to Herbert Hoover, a former president of the United States who organizes the relief efforts, to an American soldier who hands a little package to a little six-year-old boy who is then given food. That's the chain. And I think we always, uh, we often think just at the top of that chain, what did American power deliver? Well, uh, down the chain, we delivered compassion. I love that. Down the chain, think big, but act small. Um, how about personally, Connie, for you? Um, most of us feel like we experience pressure in our lives. Uh, hardly anybody will ever experience the kind of pressure that you have. And um, from when you were a young girl having to face sometimes pretty violent situations with a dad who was a pastor uh, uh, in a time when the civil rights movement was very volatile, um, to, uh, you know, facing the challenges that you did as national security advisor and secretary of state. Um, how do you find God in your world in the pressures that you face? What do you do? What do you do to, to be sustained by that faith? I'm fortunate, John. Uh, as you know, my, my father was a Presbyterian minister. My grandfather was a Presbyterian minister and, uh, I always grew up in a community, in communities of faith. Uh, the church was the center of our lives. And so I felt that I had this very strong foundation. But what I did learn and have learned throughout my life is that, uh, if you don't keep working at it, it starts to fade. And so, uh, working at faith, um, and sometimes you get very busy or I would get very busy. Uh, as a child, I just depended on my parents and, uh, they were so faithful that they just sort of communicated that in a way that I didn't even think about it much. And and I, I have in mind, well, every time I think of somebody who was, uh, we, we were said in those days pious, but I would just say uh, incredibly faithful. My mother's mother, my grandmother, was just one of those people uh, who radiated her faith. And so I was around people like that when I was younger. As I got older and uh, needed to work at it, um, I found practice of prayer, uh, practice 
trying to actually go to church. Uh, I, I, um, you know, we're, we Presbyterians, we believe in being part of a congregation. So I actually became a member at uh, National Presbyterian and I tried to make it whenever I could. And I'll tell you an interesting story that connects my foreign policy to my, to my faith. When, um, I have never in my life missed a, um, a Good Friday or a, a Palm Sunday, Good Friday or Easter Sunday, uh, in church. In some, fit, in some form, not in my entire life. I was in China on uh, a Palm Sunday when I was secretary. And I said uh, to my staff, I need to go to church. And they said, well, there's a problem because you'll have to go to an official church. This is in, in China. They said, you'd like to go to one of the underground churches, but you can't do that as secretary. You have to go to an official church. And I kind of was a little ornery, a little unhappy about it, thought, ugh, an official church. I went to this official church, and the one thing that was really clear in that church was it might have been, might have been official. It might have been fake from the point of view of the Chinese government, but from the point of view of the people worshiping in that church, they were as authentic in their Christianity as I was. And it was a great learning moment. They had a choir, and there was one woman in particular who just looked almost like my grandmother, transformed by her faith. And I thought, so even here in this official church, the Lord is working through these authentic Christians. And so sometimes you have experiences like that, that remind you uh, that your faith uh, doesn't come at nearly the price that it comes for some yeah. in parts of the world who will literally die to to practice their faith. And, and paradoxically, it ends up meaning so much more to them very often than it does for us, to whom it comes pretty cheaply. It comes pretty cheaply, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, one last question. Uh, big need for hope right now. You know, a lot of hopelessness, deaths of despair, uh, a lot of division with folks, uh, emotional health issues, um, climbing, you know, you're at the Hoover Institution, which is embedded at Stanford and, and you were provost there. So you see a lot of those issues with young people. Um, for anybody who's watching right now, I would love for them to receive from you a word of hope. Where do you find hope when you need it, when you're tempted to get discouraged? I find hope in the fact that we have come a long way as human beings. Uh, I think we know more about right and wrong now than um, in in past uh, centuries and past history. We don't always act on it as if we know. But uh, there is some uh, moral fiber that is, uh, is perfecting itself over time where we are appalled when we see what Hamas did. We are appalled when we see stories of human trafficking. Uh, we are appalled uh, when we know that there are people who are starving. Uh, we're appalled when we know that there is discrimination. Uh, we are appalled when a policeman uh, chokes a black man on the ground. There would have been a time when that was unremarkable. In human yeah. And yeah. so maybe it is working its way out slowly, not as quickly as we would have liked. But maybe it is working its way out to a better human. I think we have to realize there are some new challenges. I worry about young people and social media. Uh, these are things we had to deal with the, the 
horrible things that are said on social media, the hostility that is expressed there, the fact that you get more clicks if you're angry and, and saying awful things than if you're pleasant and happen to like life. So, so there are definitely new challenges, but I think on balance, we are getting, let me say not better, but more aware of what it is to be wrong. Now, here's the, the, uh, the clencher, I think. You can't just count on it. You can't just count on that evolution. You've got to try to be a part of that evolution. So if you do believe that human trafficking is wrong, do something about it. There are so many organizations that are doing the Lord's work in horrible places to save young people from a life in slavery. If you believe that it is wrong that there are children that are starving, do something about it. And then you connect that sense of, I know that's wrong, to something that I, again, in my own small way, can do about it. And in a democracy, we can, going back to the big picture, we can ask those questions of our leaders. We can make sure that our leaders are attuned to where we are going uh, as humankind and are trying to contribute in a way that is, is, uh, is right. But when it comes right down to it, John, my hope comes, uh, my hope is built on nothing less. <laughs> than Jesus' yeah. blood and righteousness. Right. Yeah. Yes. And uh, for, for Christians, uh, that's where it comes from. Uh, ultimately, if, uh, if there was a little baby born uh, in what we're about to celebrate, who would turn into uh, the greatest uh, prophet and the greatest uh, and would, would spawn the greatest movement in human history, well, who am I not to be hopeful? <laughs> Well, that's wonderful. Usually when we get to the end of these, I'll try to do the preacher thing and make some application, but you grew up in the church with a preacher dad and granddad, and you've already done it, so there's nothing left for me to do. Um, Connie, thank you so much. I'm very grateful, and I and we will be praying for you and uh, the really important work that the Hoover Institution is doing. Very grateful for you. Thank you, and a very Merry Christmas and blessed Christmas to everyone. Thanks again for joining us. If you like this podcast, you can help us out by leaving a review or by sharing with a friend. For more resources, check out becomenew.com. And if you need prayer, there's a group of us who meet each weekday, Monday through Friday, to pray for listeners like you. Send us your prayer requests at 855-888-0444. We'll catch you next time.